2 Timothy chapter 3. Open your Bibles with 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul sat in prison. He was counting down the days until his execution. And as he sat in that cell, he was bound with chains, suffering. That was his testimony in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. He was probably in his mid to late 60s. And with his age and with really the tremendous suffering that he had in his life, many times being beaten almost to death, his body would have ached. In that cell, he wrote one last letter to his son in the faith, his pastor friend, Timothy. And in that last letter, we call 2 Timothy, he requested two precious items. Do you remember what those items were? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 says that he asked for a cloak. So that makes sense. You're in a prison cell. You want to you keep warm. And the second thing was something to read. He says the books, the biblia, and the parchments. And most likely that was a reference to scripture. Now if you were alone in a prison cell, and you wrote a letter requesting something, would the top of your list have a Bible? When the chips are down, when you're in a desperate place in life, is the Bible that which you run to? Is that what you love to read and to have? It's what you long for? It was for Paul. It was for Job. Remember, the Old Testament Job, the man who suffered. Imagine as he was crumpled on the floor in pain from boils, as his heart hurt with agony from the loss of his children and everything else in his life. Job testified during that time of suffering that his treasure, his love, was in God's word. Job 23, 12. I have treasured the words of his mouth, that's the words of God, more than my daily bread. When you are in an agonizing trial, is is God's word a treasure for you? Do you desire that more than any other earthly thing? It was for God's man, Job. It was for David, a man after God's own heart. Remember David? He was promised that he would be king, and with becoming king came power and gold and riches and pleasure. But he found himself on the run. He was hiding out in the Judean wilderness in a dry, dusty desert in caves, and he didn't have that gold. He didn't even have food or friends. He was by himself. Yet he sang with joy that his most Precious love was God's word, Psalm 19.10. More to be desired 
are they. Those are the words of God, the law of God, the scripture. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. What you find in scripture is that in the the dark and difficult days of those saints of old, the one thing that those of faith go to is the word of God. They long to hear from God, and therefore they go to the scripture, to the word of God. You see, God's word is God's means to minister grace to our souls. And so for these men and many other men and women in the scripture of faith, they faced difficult situations, but they found hope and faith and even joy in God's word. The title for my sermon here this morning, as you can see on the screen, is Resolved to Continue to faithfully be in the word and under the word. This right here is my prayer for us, church. It's my prayer for us this year that we will be resolved to continue to faithfully be in and under the word of God. This right here also represents what 2 Timothy chapter 3 teaches. In fact, you could sum up 2 Timothy chapter 3 like this, that in the dark days of difficulty, you need to continue to faithfully be in the word and under the word. In the dark days of difficulty, you need to be in the word and under the world, uh, under the word. Second Timothy 3 paints a picture of society that is spiritually dark, that is twisted, depraved, and deceived. The truth is, as you read through verse 1 through 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, you see Paul is describing our society with absolute accuracy. He depicts a culture that is reprobate with perverse self Love controlled by vile affections. In fact, if you look in verse number one there, he describes these days as the last days. And their last days, their times of difficulty. That word difficulty is the same adjective used to describe the demon-possessed man in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. And that word difficulty means fierce. It means savage. It means troubled. Don't you think that's a pretty good description of 21st century America? And I don't need to go through the examples, right? We know what that looks like. If you're a Christian, you, you, you watch the news. You read the headlines. You hear what's going on in our society. And this is our society. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. So what are we to do about that? I mean, as we look at 2023, it doesn't look like it's going to get a whole lot better. I mean, 2023 doesn't look like it's going to be a wholesome year of people fearing God in our country and in our world. So what are we to do? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3 equips us to spiritually survive and spiritually thrive in a dark, vile, corrupt society. 
And in fact, just so I want you to notice in verse 1, Paul prepares us to live in the society by saying, verse 1, but understand this. Know this. That's the first command found in this chapter. And he wants us to know that these, we are in the last days. And in the last days, there's going to be times of difficulty. And with precise prophetic precision, he describes the last days in America and in these troubling times. In fact, if you look down in verse 5, you can see the next command found in this chapter, and it's to avoid, really to avoid the, the worldly influence. This is the idea of being careful for yourself and for your family, because we can all easily be deceived and go down the broad path of sin. Then the, the next command, and the, actually the only other command in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's found in verse 14. I want you to notice this, because this is really going to launch us into the rest of this sermon here. And that is the word continue. To continue. That means to remain. That means to abide. To remain in what? To continue in what? To continue to abide in God's word. In fact, verses 10 through 17 really speak to that. Continue, Timothy, in God's word. Continue in what you have learned. Continue to learn. Continue to read. Continue to study. Continue to sit under the preaching of God's word. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4. Continue to pray God's word. Continue to sing God's word. Saturate your life with the word of God. And so therefore, in the days of difficulty, what do you need? You need to continue to faithfully be in the word and under the word of God. We are in these last days, aren't we, church? And we can't escape it. Right? You, you can't move somewhere else and escape it. You can't elect new politicians and solve it. God's answer for us is through the work of his word. And I'm going to read the entire chapter of 2 Timothy chapter 3 because I want you to see this. I want you to see this progression. I want you to see this building as you see the kind of the low point at the beginning of the chapter of this, the dark days of the last times. And then as he moves into the glorious truths of God's word, would you stand with me with your Bibles open to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and follow along as I read 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 17. Verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Isn't that our society right there? Lovers of self. Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Heartless. Unappeasable. Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. Not loving good. Treacherous. Reckless swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, that's our world, 
but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannes and Jamborees oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we think about this text, particularly the last verses of this chapter, what do we need most in 2023? Well, in the dark days of difficulty, you need to continue to faithfully be in the word and under the word. By in the word, I mean daily, personally, be studying God's word, memorizing God's word, meditating on God's word. By under the word, I mean you value this Sunday morning gathering where we all put ourselves under the preaching of God's word. I mean you come to Sunday classes and you soak in, you saturate your heart with God's word. And why? That's really the question I want to ask this morning is why should we do this? Why should we be in God's word? Why should we be under God's word? I'm going to give you three reasons from this text. First of all, God's word empowers you with wisdom that leads to salvation. God's word empowers you with wisdom that leads to salvation. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue and what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And what did he learn? It's the scripture, verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so Paul wrote, Timothy, you have been acquainted, you know, you've been taught the sacred writings. Well, what were those sacred writings? Those were the Old Testament scripture. Paul was referring to the Old Testament scripture. And Paul reminded Timothy of those who taught 
Timothy God's word. Who taught Timothy God's word? Well, Paul did, clearly. Some people, obviously, in the church did. His grandmother and his mother taught him. We learned that as well. What was Timothy taught? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. He was taught the content of Scripture. He was, he was taught the doctrines of Scripture. But here what we're getting at is, most importantly, he was taught about the God of Scripture and what the God of Scripture can do. And what can the God of Scripture do? Can do What can the God of, of the Scripture do? He can rescue. He can save. And he was taught to trust in the God of the Scripture for salvation. Look at verse 15. You have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able. The sacred writings, the Old Testament Scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The word able there is the word for power, dunamai. It speaks of the power of God's word in our lives. This word is used in James chapter 1, verse 21, speaking to the church, how we are to receive with meekness, with this humility, the implanted word, which is able, which is powerful enough to save our souls. God's word implanted in the soul is powerful if that soul receives it with meekness and with faith. That's why in Romans chapter 10, the scripture says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Church, do you realize God's Means of grace to save souls is through the word of God. And the word of God reveals that salvation is through faith in Christ Jesus. Friend, if you are in here this morning and you are without Jesus Christ, God's wisdom for you is that you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough to get to heaven on your own. You can't do enough good works. Religion won't save you. A pastor can't save you. The Pope can't save you. No one in this world can save you except one, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who lived and died and rose again to save your soul. So God's wisdom is that salvation is found in Jesus Christ for those who place their faith in Christ. And, and that's for those without Christ, they can be saved. And, and those of us who are and have and are trusted in Jesus Christ, like this continues to be applicable to us. Salvation is not just about the initial coming to Christ, and definitely it is, but it's not just about that. It's not just about being saved from hell. We need every day to walk by faith and trust Jesus Christ daily to be our Savior, to, to give us power to overcome sin and, and power to serve our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need God's power to give us wisdom each day to know how to trust Jesus. And that powerful wisdom that supports and sustains our faith in Christ comes through God's word. It comes from being in and under the ministry of the word. And being in the word, being 
under the word. It's not just about learning about God. It's not just about coming to a, a room like this and sitting here and maybe taking notes and maybe listening to what God's word has to say. It's not an academic exercise of, of gaining more religious knowledge. In fact, look up at verse number five, because that was how Paul described those lost people in that, la- those, that society of the last days. 2 Timothy 3, 5 having the appearance of godliness, so these people come to a service like this, but they deny its power. Verse 7, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. So, So the power of God's word is not found in just sitting here and listening to God's word. Many religions and so-called Christians read scripture every day or maybe even go to a service once a week week and hear that. And they are ever learning God's word, but never come to the knowledge of the truth. And why is that? Well, it's because they come to God's word and they put themselves above God's word. They come to God's word in pride. They don't humble themselves under God's word. God's word is a means for some of them to validate their own beliefs to validate their own lifestyle. I mean, there are people who we might call prosperity preachers, and they preach God's word. They use God's word to support their materialism. Get, give, give more money to me so I can have a bigger plane. <laughs> or, or God might give you more money because that's what's really valuable, and that's their message. Then you have the woke preacher, and they use God's word to excuse their sexual sins. We could go on and on. The point is, just because you read God's word or teach God's word doesn't mean that you believe God's word. Doesn't mean you actually are depending upon God's word. The power of God's word that gives wisdom, that leads to salvation, is found as you humble yourself under God's word and depend fully upon his word and Christ's work. There's a missionary There was a missionary named John Patton. I read his biography uh, about a year ago, I guess. And he was a missionary to the cannibals in the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. He believed that God could reach those people and those people could come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he believed his most powerful weapon to reach those people was the word of God. So one of his great efforts... His labor of love was actually to take the New Testament and translate it into their language. And to do that, he had to come up with words that maybe weren't in their language and figure out how he could take these Greek words and translate it into a word they would understand in their language. Well, one of the words that he really struggled with was the word faith. And really, the biblical idea that it's completely depending on God in the work of Jesus Christ. And so he was really struggling with this. It was, he was in his study, and, and one day when he was thinking about it, an islander ran in to his study. He was exhausted, and he flopped himself in the chair, and he said to John Patton, oh, it's so good to rest my whole weight in this chair. And John Patton listened to that and thought to himself, huh, that's a pretty good example of faith. Resting your whole weight in that chair. And so John Patton then took that word that man spoke 
and he defined faith like this. Faith is resting your whole weight on God. The whole weight, you could say it like this, the whole weight of your soul upon God. And that word went into the translation of the New Testament, and it helped bring many of those islanders to Jesus Christ. See, the power of Scripture is to the one who puts the whole weight of his soul or her soul and life upon God and his word. That's faith. It's complete dependence. And so here's a question. Is the whole weight of your faith upon the word of God and upon Christ and his work? And so, first, God, God's word empowers you with wisdom that leads to salvation. Secondly, God's word transforms you in sanctification. Look at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 16 uses a different word for God's word than verse 15. Here in verse 16, Paul uses the word scripture, or in Greek it's graphe. This word is used in the New Testament to often refer to the Old Testament scripture. In fact, most often it's the New Old Testament scripture. And there's sometimes it's used to refer to the New Testament scripture. Let me give you a few examples. For instance, Jesus Christ used this word, graphe, to refer to the Old Testament scriptures. Luke 4, 21. And he, that's Jesus, began to say to them, today this scripture, referring to an Old Testament passage, has been fulfilled in your hearing. Luke even speaks about how Jesus preached the, the scripture, that is the Old Testament scripture, Luke 24, 27. Then beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, that's the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So he took the entire scriptures, didn't go through word by word and verse by verse, but he went through the, the general different um, themes and genres of the scripture, and he said that it speaks about me, it speaks about Jesus Christ. So scripture is often used, graphe is often used to speak about the Old Testament, most often. But also, that word graphe is used to speak about the scripture of the New Testament. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter uses that word to speak about Paul's letters. 2 Peter 3, 16, as also in all of his, that's Paul's letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Let's pause right there and think about that. If Peter thinks there are some things in Paul's letters hard to understand, that should give us some comfort, huh? But he says, which the untaught and unstable distort. So people take the scripture and distort it. And then notice what he says. As they do also the rest of scripture. So he's talking about the Old Testament. He says, and Paul also is scripture. And he's not arguing for this. He's stating the obvious fact. It was, it was common knowledge by the apostles that they were writing scripture. And how about 
this last one here, Paul, he writes about Scripture and he includes the Gospel of Luke. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul quotes the Old Testament and he quotes the Gospel of Luke and he says, the Scripture says. In other words, Old and New Testament. The point is, all Scripture here is speaking in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, of the 66 Old and New Testament God-breathed and scripturated books we call the Bible. And God gave, or Paul gave, two adjectives to describe Scripture. Notice in verse 16, he says, all Scripture is what? God-breathed and profitable. God-breathed means that every word Every letter, every jot, every tittle, everything that the original authors wrote down came directly from God, breathed out by God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a Trinitarian work in the inspiration and then inscripturation of Scripture. And that is this, that is that God the Father commissioned that the words of the Son were to be written down by the superintention of the Holy Spirit through human authors. So did you see all three persons of the Trinity? God the Father commissioned the words of the Son to be written down by the superintention of the Holy Spirit through human authors. And because what those human authors wrote down, was breathed out by God, we can say that what we have is God's word. They wrote the very words of God. And through the centuries, God has so preserved his word through through copies of the original and through translations that we can confidently say that we hold in our hands the word of God. Now, let's just pause and think about what we are saying. We are saying that the infinite, eternal, holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God speaks to you and to me through this right here, God's word. What a precious treasure that is. God is not speaking to you in dreams God is not speaking to you in visions, okay? This is what this is speaking about. It's saying God speaks to us. He breathes out his words through scripture. That's what he does here. This also means if this truly is, and we believe this is true, and the Bible says it's true, if this truly is God's word, that means that what's written here has authority over our lives. It means it should have authority over everything we think, everything we do, over our church, over our homes, over our society. God's word stands above us. And then that's what God's word is. What does God's word do? Well, God's word is profitable. Look at verse 16. God's word is profitable to do what? To change us to transform us, to make us more like Jesus Christ. God's word transforms you in what we call, a biblical word, we call sanctification. Sanctification is God's work to change your heart, 
to change your mind, to change your conduct, to be like Jesus Christ. Sanctification is becoming more holy, desiring and loving and living more and more like Jesus Christ. And this must be the goal of every believer walking the face of this planet. This is God's goal for us. God is trying to, by his grace, and wanting to, and working in our life to make us more like Jesus Christ. How does God accomplish this work? How does God sanctify you? How does he make you more like Jesus Christ? Well, primarily, it's through the work of his word. In fact, I would say it like this. You cannot be made more like Jesus Christ without the ministry of the word of God. God's word is his means of grace to transform you. And how does he transform you? Or I should say, what, what does he transform you to be? Well, he transforms you through teaching. Look at verse 16. It's profitable for teaching. So the scripture benefits you, it profits you by teaching. Teaching what? Teaching the truth. In fact, remember Jesus prayed in John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them, make them more holy, ultimately make them holy like me in the truth. Your word is truth. And so Jesus' prayer for us as a church is that we would be made more holy through the word of God. And the word of God is truth. Truth is absolute. Truth transcends your feelings. Truth transcends culture. It transcends opinions. Truth is owned by God. God is truth. God is the source of truth. And I think it's pretty obvious that not all truth is contained in the Bible. Not everything that's true is contained in the Bible, right? There's science and mathematics and astronomy, and we could go on and on. Those truths, some of them are found there, but not all truth is found there. The Bible doesn't tell us everything that is true in the world, but the Bible tells us the truth about God that he wants us to know. And there are things about God that we can look around and discover. I mean, natural revelation can tell us things about God. Science and astronomy and mathematics and even art can tell us that there is a God and that this God is creative and that he's wise and he's complex. But we need the Bible to teach us who this God is and how this God works. And so the truth about who God is, how he works, what he expects, can only be discovered through special revelation. That is, the revelation of his word. And that's really what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is communicating. God, by his Holy Spirit, moved in the minds of biblical authors to write his words so we can know what is true about God. So we really can know the reality of this world. So scripture profits us by telling us what is true truth. So what's the truth about morality? That's a big question in our society. What's the truth about eternity? What's the truth about how a person gets to heaven? What's the truth about your soul? All of that, all the answers to those questions are found in the scripture. So the scripture tells us what's true, which means what? If there's things that are true, there are things that are false. That's right. And so that's the next one. God's word reproves us. Literally, God's word 
proves when and how we are wrong. This implies then that you have a sinful bent to do wrong. This is what the scripture teaches, that we are all born into this world with a sinful nature and that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And so, therefore, what we see here is that we are we are, have a bent to do what is wrong. The scripture profits us then by showing us our errors, showing us how we fall short of God's glory. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you like it when people tell you you're doing something wrong? If you're married and your spouse tells you something that you did wrong, do you really enjoy that? You come out wearing a certain outfit. I mean, usually it's a guy. This is the case for, right? And your wife says, uh-uh, you're not wearing that today. Now, on the opposite end, guys, we are like, that's, that's wonderful. You know, no matter what, that's a wonderful outfit. But, but do we naturally like that, to have people tell us that something's wrong? Well, not really. But in regard to the scripture, hopefully we actually do want God to reprove us. I mean, there are, especially in the essential things of life, we actually should value this reproof. I mean, think about it this way. A couple weeks ago, I was uh, at the dinner table with our family, and we had some, I think we had some people over. I can't remember who was there, but at the very end, someone told me I had something in my teeth. And so what's the question I had? How long has that been there for, you know? I mean, why didn't you tell me? I could have gone to the bathroom, some, took some floss, and got it. In other words... I, I didn't like that in my teeth. I wish someone would have told me. I wish someone would have reproved me. Why? Because I wanted to fix it. And, that, and that's kind of the point we have here. If, if you want to live a holy life, if you hate your sin, will you love reproof? And the answer is yes. You see, reproof is a wonderful gift from the Holy Spirit given to us by means of the Scripture. And so do we do you welcome reproof? If you love God, if you love his word, if you want to be more like Christ, then you will and you should. And third, God's words profit you by correcting you through correction. This means to make straight, to restore. The root word for this word correction here is used in Luke 13, 13 to describe how how Jesus healed a lady who was bent over. Her, her body was contorted. I don't know, maybe she had severe scoliosis or something like that, but something was severely wrong with her. And so in Luke 13, 13, the Bible says that he, Jesus, lay hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. And the root word in this passage on correction is found right there that she was made straight. So Jesus, he knew what she should be. She should be walking upright. That's how he created humans to be. He knew what her problem was, but he didn't just recognize this is who she should be and you're contorted, you shouldn't, you're wrong. He actually did what? He straightened her out. He fixed her. And that's kind of the idea right here is that God, he straightens us out. He fixed our crooked souls. You see, I think a lot of times for us as Christians is we kind of stop with the second point here. In other words, we, we recognize that God teaches us truth. 
we should do something. We recognize that we've fallen short and we say, okay, God, I'm sorry about that. But God doesn't want to stop there. God wanted, wants to take you to number three, and that is he wants to straighten you out. He wants to correct you. God wants to fix us, and he does that through the ministry of the word. I think about a child in the home, and a child should honor his mother and his father. And that's what he should do. That's what's the right thing to do. And children often talk back to their parents. And so sometimes we stop right there. Children, sometimes you stop right there. Sometimes parents, we stop right there. We say, you're supposed to honor me. You talk back to me. And so say you're sorry. I'm sorry. But that's not where God stops. Because God says, not only should you not only should you say you're sorry, but actually you should correct that and you should honor me. You should bless your parents. You should obey them. God wants to straighten our crooked hearts out. And the last one is training in righteousness. God's word profits you by training you in righteousness. This is a word used of parents giving their children instruction, of a coach giving discipline. This is God's word like a coach, like a parent that that daily trains your habits, renews your thoughts. So God's word transforms. And so I think it's probably good for us to think about how God's word is and has been transforming us. As you look back at the beginning of 2022, would you say that you can see how God has changed you? And I hope that's true. Sometimes it's hard to see it day to day, right? You look outside your window and you see a tree growing and it doesn't seem like it's changed very much. But then you look at a picture from last year and it's like, wow, that actually has grown. I hope that's the case for you. And maybe as you look over the past couple of weeks, you're like, eh, I don't know if I'm growing very much. But hopefully as you look back to last year, you say, Lord, this is how you're changing me. God's means to change us is through his word. And then last of all, God's word equips you in your Christian occupation. Your Christian occupation. What's your Christian occupation? Well, I'm not talking about if you're an engineer or a teacher or a stay-at-home mom. I'm not talking about what you go to on a daily basis to do. I'm talking about the reason God created you. I'm talking about the reason that you were created and recreated in Christ Jesus. And what is that? What is your Christian occupation to be? It is, found in verse 17, to do what? To do, you see it there in verse 17? To do good works. For every good work. Look at, for, look at 2 Timothy 3.17. He says, that, here's a, here's a purpose statement. This is the reason God empowers you with wisdom for salvation. This is the reason God transforms you in sanctification in order that the man of God, the servant of God may be complete. Complete means that you're just what God wants you to be. And he says, equipped for every good work. Equipped means that that God has put everything in place for you to function as he designed. Think about a mechanic who takes engine parts and car parts and and puts it all back together and restores it so that it can run once again. And God uses his word to equip you so you can function the way that God intended for you to function. And how does God intend you to function? 
that you would do good works for the glory of the Father. In fact, just think about, I don't have this verse up here, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. God saves us by his grace. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace so we can do good works. And so here's a question. Are you doing the good works that God has called you to do? As a church, we're called to, to do the good works of discipling one another, praying for one another, caring for one another, inviting one another into our lives with hospitality and with love. Are you doing that? We are to go out with the good works of sharing the gospel with people. Are we doing that? How are you doing in fulfilling what God has created you to do? And that is good works. Now, one thing we could do from here is we could say, okay, let's sit down and let's list 20 ways, 20 resolutions of how our church or how we can individually do good works. But actually, I'm going to take a different approach to that. Because verse 17 says, the way God equips you to do good works is through the word of God. In other words, if you want to have 2023 be a year that Lighthouse Bible Church does the works that God wants us to do, if you individually want to be a person who's equipped to do good works, then therefore what should you do? You must be in and under the word of God. You see, you can't be the person God wants you to be in 2023 without the word of God. It's not just let's get our 20 resolutions to try to do this this year. It's saying, God, we submit to your word. God, equip me to be a person who does good works. God, make me more like Jesus Christ through the ministry of your word. And so, church, as we go into 2023, as you think about your resolutions, I hope you have some that you're thinking about. I hope your resolutions start with what you would like to do in regard to the ministry of God's word. What does God want you to do with his word this year? Let me give you a few recommendations for resolutions. Number one, would you resolve in 2023 to be in God's word every day? If you're a child in here, we have books that we give you for free. They're called True Trackers Devotionals, so you can be in God's word every day. Teens, we have devotionals we provide, so you can be in God's word every day. In the lobby, we have a sign-up, and it starts today. If you want to read through the Bible with us this year, we're going to go through the Bible chronologically. Would you resolve every day this year to read through God's word, to be in God's word, I should say, to be in God's word? Number two, would you resolve to be in God's word with your family? or with whoever's in your immediate household, or if you don't have anyone, you're living by yourself with somebody else, would you resolve to at least once a week to try to sit down with people and be in God's word with your family? Number three, would you resolve to be under God's word each Sunday morning? As you think about 2023, 52 Sundays, first one you started off pretty right here, okay? Would you resolve the rest of the year? Obviously, you have a few vacations scheduled, okay? So you'll miss a couple times. But will you say, to the best that I'm able, by God's grace, I want to be here every Sunday. Maybe that might mean I'm going to miss a family reunion, or maybe I'm going to miss a sports activity, or 
maybe I'm going to have to go to bed before midnight on Saturday night. Okay, I'm going to have to go to bed early so I can get up Sunday morning. But would you resolve to be under the ministry of the word? Would you resolve to be under the ministry of the word in Sunday classes? We have Sunday classes that meet every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. That might be news to some of you, okay? But that happens. And those classes are meant to saturate your heart with God's word. And then last, would you resolve to share God's word with other people? Do you really believe that God speaks and God works through the word of God? You see, I think that if we truly believed that, if we really believed that God works, he empowers us with wisdom through his word, that he transforms us through his word, that he equips us to do what we're supposed to do through his word, I think if we really believe that, then we would commit each day, each Sunday, we would commit our lives to being in and under the ministry of God's word. Let's pray.